patterns, permutations, time, rhythm, coordination, meter, concentration, tempo, modulation, groove. Welcome to the Drum Mantra Podcast. This is Rich Stitzel, and it's time to go deeper with your practice. So what I what I did is, you know, at some point I started realizing like I can put in these, you know, these sextuplets and make it sound essentially kind of faster than it is. Polyrhythms, polymeters, what are they? How are they related? How are they different? Let's take a look. The way to be successful at something is you have to be so passionate about it that time disappears. You do not care. You are just in it. You can't wait to wake up because you get to start again. And when you go to sleep, you hope that you dream about it. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about passion. Before I set up anything in a session, I try to find out, hey, what's the first song we're going to do? Can we go listen to it? Is there some kind of demo? And then, because I hate, I hate just like throwing up like any old cymbals and snare drum and whatever, um, building a kit and then going to listen to the song and you're like, oh, well, I wouldn't use half the stuff that's up here. What happens is you're moving the accents everywhere possible in a measure of 4-4, four, four, a measure of 3-4, and a measure of 5-4. I, I really feel like that's a really under-emphasized part of being a drummer, is getting sound. So let's just hear what it sounds like to hear three sixteenth notes at the same time as four sixteenth notes. Hey, hey, everybody, what's happening? It's Rich. Welcome back to the Drum Mantra Podcast, episode 21. Today, we are going to uh, listen in on a conversation that I had with one of LA's most popular drummers. He plays with Alanis Morissette, Josh Groban, Melissa Etheridge. He's done sessions for Annie Lennox, Adina Mazel, and many, many other artists. He was also nominated in this year, 2018, Modern Drummer Reader's Poll for Best Studio Musician, alongside the likes of Jay Bellarose, Matt Chamberlain, Steve Jordan, and Miles McPherson. That is a heavy list of session drummers, and Blair absolutely deserves to be in that list. He's incredible at his craft, and I can't wait to have you get to hear him talk about that a little bit. Uh, Blair Senta. I'm sure you've seen him on Instagram. He has a great YouTube channel. Uh, I'll give you all the details on the the, uh, links for all that stuff. But um, it's a great conversation that we had, and it actually is a two-part conversation. We we spoke two different times over the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. So the first time we spoke, we just kind of, you know, casually talked about some fun kind of concepts with social media and marketing and some drumming things and and just caught up. Uh, Blair and I have known each other for a very long time. We went to the University of North Texas together, and we were actually in the Zebras band together. Or, yeah, yeah, the Zebras. We were in the Zebras together. And uh, we have some history throughout the early 90s, and it was fun to catch up again. I ran into Blair maybe... Uh, two years ago when he was in Chicago with Melissa Etheridge, and it was great to hear him play. He's such a solid uh, drummer, musical, no nonsense. Every every decision is just great. Um, he's he's a very he's a very fine musician. So excited for you to hear that. And uh, before we get into that, I just want to thank all my companies real quick: the ANF Drum Company, Craviato Drum Company. Sabian Cymbals, Evans Drumheads, Vic Firth Sticks, the Polynome App, and 
the Box Kit Cajon Company. Those are all companies that I am associated with, and I love all of their products from every company. Just fine, fine instruments and really great people at all of those companies. So if, uh, if you're interested in, in upping your game, your gear game, I would highly recommend checking out any of those companies. I also wanted to give you a reminder that the primary series book is basically available. It's at the printer. It will be back in my hands in just a couple of days. The primary series book is book two in the Drum Mantra collection. Book one is the foundational series. That book covers uh, basically duple-based accents and permutations across three different time signatures, 3-4, 4-4, and 5-4. It lays the groundwork for book two, the primary series. The primary series entirely focuses on the 3-4 polymetric relationship and the 5-4 polymetric relationship and those how they function within 3-4 time, 4-4 time, and then 5-4 time. It is, I would consider it to be an advanced book, but I also think it's pretty accessible once you understand the concepts and once you start to get the, the, uh, the whole process of the book um, under your hands. Uh, there are six brand new rhythmic melody sections. If you have the foundational series, you will you know that there are three different rhythmic melody sections where uh, there are melodies written that you can practice reading and performing with different um, combinations of coordination happening in different limbs. There are six new rhythmic melody sections for a total of 48 uh, melody lines. So it's a huge challenge. It's a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed putting the book together. I also really enjoy practicing the book. I practice out of the book every single day. Um, it helps my time. It helps my comfort level when I'm playing gigs. Um, it slows down my mind. It allows me to concentrate much better. And uh, just overall, everything improves. And I definitely owe it to the work I've done out of the book. I would use this book no matter who wrote it. Uh, I just happened to be the one that got the idea to write it. It's a lot of fun and I really enjoyed it and I hope to get to share it with you and discuss more about it in the future. The primary series is available at my website richstitzelmusic.com Okay, well without further ado, let's go ahead and get into part one conversation with Blair Sinta. I'll see you at the end. Call is now being recorded. <laughs> uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> this is the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Don't say anything. From now on, you are incriminated. <laughs> yeah, all things yeah. you say will be used against you in the law. <laughs> How you doing, dude? So, it's so good, man. It's so crazy. I'm I'm talking right now to somebody on Facebook who lives in uh, Liechtenstein, and we were actually talking about you. Oh, really? Crazy. Yeah, wow. I was telling about your YouTube show right now. Right on. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. Man, so I I, saw, well, I, I know that you know this, but I saw Ari a few, weeks, a few days ago to his show. Wait, did yeah. you see him? Did he come through town, or you guys just talked? No, we just we just talked. Okay. Was it insane? Um, yeah, I, I swear to God, half the time I didn't I didn't understand what was happening. You know. Oh my God. Whoa. I mean, it's it's like that good. It's like there's like a different language happening. I'm just like whoa. I know. Like I know. Yeah. It's crazy. 
It's crazy. Yeah. Other otherworldly. I I try to understand and try to hang on, and it makes yeah, me feel like, like a child. <laughs> oh, totally. It's like if, if you haven't stayed in that, that kind of. It's almost specifically New York, you know, is the way I look at it. It's like, but if you're oh, not yeah, part of that thing, you're right. you've been like, you've been left behind of like the, the, the evolution of that language. You know, is anyone doing that in L.A.? Not like that. I mean, I don't know yeah. if anybody quite does it like like Ari does it, you know. And course, and like right. there is a there is a migration of these New York cats coming to L.A. Like Zach, have you seen Zach Danziger's thing, the Edit Bunker thing? Yeah, that's like bizarre. I, mean, I haven't seen you know, it. I haven't seen it live. Okay, but you've seen video. I mean, it's like yeah. it's so nuts, man. It's crazy, you know. And those guys are kind of moving to L.A., but it's definitely not an L.A. thing. You know, like right. it wasn't developed here. Yeah, so I can't. I wonder. If, I can't really say that it's it's an LA. You know, anybody from LA doing anything like that. The only person I know from that might be from LA that's doing that that's now in New York would be Nate Wood. Right, but New York, Nate, Nate's been there a long time now. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. I don't know how New York breeds that kind of intensity. And that that kind well, of progresses. Well, I think to live there, you're. I think you're prone to maybe you're that, in it. You're already that kind of personality, you know. Yeah, you're and surrounded by it. Yeah, and and like the like that's a survival mechanism in a certain way, and then you know those kind of people go there because they're attracted to that, you know. Right. And that sounds bad, but that's a. I mean that in a positive way. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I remember a couple guys from school going there. I can't remember the guy's name specifically. He was a great drummer. And I went and visited, man, a long time ago. Uh, and I remember running into him, and he had a dog walking business. And that's what he was doing to pay the bills. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I went out and stayed with Paul Stivitz, man, like 92 for a week. Paul Stivitz was and, there in 92? Uh, I mean, uh, 2002. Oh, oh, okay. I was like, what? <laughs> right, we were still at school at, at 92. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what were you just, you were just in Florida? Yeah, I was doing a Groban gig. So, man, it seemed like you were doing, like, what, three days of rehearsals for, for a concert? Was that what? It... We did, uh, actually, just two. We did, um, we got in Friday, we did a rehearsal Friday night, and then a rehearsal Saturday, and then did the gig on Sunday. Well, technically, we did a rehearsal Sunday, too, because we, we had a live orchestra, so we had to do a rehearsal with was the it, orchestra. Which is... Was it filmed? Was it something that was, like... No, no, this is the usual gig for him. This was, like, a, it was, like, a corporate gala, gala thing, like, you know, some hospital in Florida, huge, huge money donor thing but no not filmed but you know with with josh there's always like um the set list is not defined and so there's always like, like we learned a new song a brand new song that hasn't really been played live yet but we learned it anyway we never we didn't do it but we're working on the arrangement and um it's quite the gig is quite specific uh, there's just a lot of moving parts so they like to get rehearsals in you know Right. For me, I, I I probably get the most free reign of anybody. For the pianist, he's he's basically reading the gig. I'm right. Right, Stevens, who's a who's a monster. But I'm as long as I'm playing the tune, uh, they're not worried about like fills or or whatever. They kind of want me to like bring some energy. That's kind of the cool sure. part of that gig. It's like you make this. It's like drums. You make this more of a rock show. You know, bring like bring right, some edge right. to it. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny because we you and I were going to try to talk on Saturday and then we didn't. But uh, I played a gala that night backing up the uh lead for hamilton in chicago and he sang oh, cool. you raised me up oh wow really i'm like this is hilarious this is so funny that you're playing with groban and i'm playing the groban tune with the hamilton guy yeah and, uh, but man it's was so it, much was... fun playing those power ballads i love that 
Oh, totally, man. I like that tune. Man, it's like he does it at like, I don't know, 60 BPM or something like that. And like the click is on a quarter note. And it's just yes. like, I'm like, why is the click even in here? <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's not I helping at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm still with it. Yeah. I love the slow click. I love slow tempos. It just, I guess that's the Texas in me. The, yeah. The fatness I, of everything. I've definitely been a, more of a slow tempo person, you know. Yeah. I feel like that was a sink or swim thing for North Texas, like learning how to play ballads and keep them, uh, like brushes. Like. Uh, it, it's my favorite thing to do. I don't know if it's because I'm rebelling against, like, I moved to Chicago 16 16- years ago and everything here is super tight super on top of the beat and and intricate yeah. and i just came in i'm like i don't play like that but <laughs> right not gonna happen yeah yeah not gonna happen i'll try i, I mean i definitely learned to, to do that since i've been here but whenever i emulate that i rush you know i don't have it's like i can sit back on something and stay in tempo you know but if i'm asked to play on top then i it takes off kind of interesting yeah i man there's a keyboard player in town here that is just insane. He he's he was actually number two in the world two years in a row on tenor drum for the Cavaliers. Oh wow! And then he moved moved over to piano, and he is ridiculous, and he's so freaking good, and huh. he knows everything about any subdivision, any combination of time. And I play with him on eighty percent of my gigs, so I've huh. learned. So he's been he's been like my little Yoda. It's been amazing to kind of learn he's- from someone that knows that much right he's younger than us he is he's man he's probably in his mid-30s he's 10 years younger oh yeah that's a crazy transition he must have always played piano though he did but man he's meticulous you know composition he he just edited my last book that's about to come out and oh wow he's oh, just cool. meticulous with everything he does and it's, he's a good role model for me <laughs> Yeah, he keeps me honest, man. You know, it's great to have these players in your life that are like, okay, I've got to make sure that everything is exactly right. I love it. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Important. I don't really have a an M.O. here. I just thought we would chat, mm-hmm. and then I would kind of pull little pieces together and, uh, you know, turn it into a podcast. So a lot of sure. things that cool. we say today, you might not even hear. Did you hear the Ari podcast? I haven't. The one yet. that I did. I haven't. Sorry. I, yeah. I got to. When did you start doing this? Recent, right? Um, you and I are episode 21. Oh, so okay. I've been doing okay. it for cool. like two, two months. The reason I started doing it in the first place was I was like, man, it sure would be cool to have a podcast where there was like actual music examples and someone talking about them. So you could hear, you know, some kind of phrase or some kind of concept. And it was like, mm. you know, you're, you're actually listening to something educational. So that's what I wanted to hear. And so right. I thought, well, I'll just create it. Right. A lot of my nice. podcast episodes are that. It's like, now we're, we're going to check out this you know, this concept and I'll play a bunch of examples that I've programmed and discussed in detail. Oh, wow. I hear things from different perspectives and yeah. Cool. So it's, it's my, it's my own little nerdy project. But then the thing with Ari was he, he put something up on Instagram and said, if anyone can transcribe this, they oh, get, yeah. they'll get free tickets. And so I was like, man, I'm going to try this. And it was, it was crazy. So it? I wrote him, I, I got everything, but I think there were three sixteenth ghost notes that I did not have in there. Oh, wow. Wow. But I sent it to, I sent it to him. I said, how's this look? He says, it's, it's close. And I said, well, man, I'd love to talk about the process on my podcast, of what I did for transcribing. And he said, well, why don't we talk about it when we do the podcast? And okay, cool. Like, okay. It looks like the interviewing portion of this podcast is about to begin. So he was the first. Oh, nice. 
and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this in alphabetical order. So you're the second. Okay, uh, nice. And, and then Carter McLean is third after you. And he says hello. By the way, did you get? Do you guys know each other? Of course, I know oh. Carter. We talk. We we actually we text quite a lot and. He's great. He's, he's, cool. he's a bad motherfucker. Yeah. I know, man. Yeah. And yeah. he claims to be self-taught, and I'm going to get to the bottom of that whole thing. Does he really? <laughs> yes. That guy's got so crazy funny. hands, man. I know. He's got crazy hands. Yeah. That thing where yeah. he was I, accenting every fifth note but going through different stickings, that's, that's the first thing that caught my attention. Like, what? Yeah. I'm just in awe of his um, his technique, really. You know, like, it's, it's just so fluid. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. All right. I want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So the the thing that's the thing that's great about you and Ari with 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 me getting comfortable doing these podcasts is that we have a little bit of history. Mm-hmm. And I don't do you I, do you remember that you and I were in the zebras together? Now that you say that, I do. Yeah. I barely I, I keep I keep forgetting because I don't remember that experience at all. So here's my my little pieces of of my interactions with you is there. And then your uh-huh. and I was t- I was telling Ari this when at one point my practice room was right next to yours. Yes, I remember and, that. And Ari and Ari was and across I, from us. Yes, totally. I remember that. And a couple couple other people. I can't remember who else was on that hall. Uh, Max Open might have been somewhere yep. nearby. Yeah, that was an intense time. It was it was almost scary to practice because you were afraid of you know I was always nervous of who was outside the door. Oh, I remember <laughs> listening to Ari being like, "Who is this fucking alien?" You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, and then finally realizing that Carlock had his own house, so you weren't going to hear him unless right. you went 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 there. He and Jason Farr lived together, I think. Yep. So, so that little that little window, and I remember you played in a band. You were playing in a band with, with Aiden and Hillary Tips way long time ago. Yep. That was called um, Mattfield Green. Mattfield Green. Jerry Rosin. Yep. And Don. Don Sinto. Don Sinto. Yep. Right. And then after school, so so let's let's go forward and back. Let's just jump all over the place as as it as it comes. Um, okay. After after school, did you go straight to L.A.? I went straight to L.A., yeah, I, after, after, about two weeks after I graduated. Like, I did a New Year's Eve gig, and then I moved here, like, the next day, like, January 3rd, why, technically. Why did you decide L.A. over New York or Chicago? I mean, that's um, where you grew up. Um, why did I decide L.A.? Well, I was actually quite set on going to New York, and then I kind of came to my senses and thought, like, wait, you, before you came to school, you didn't want to be a jazz drummer. Or, you know, and I felt like if I went to New York, that's really what I was pursuing. And I also didn't feel as though I was, like, a heavy enough dude to hang playing New York jazz. So that's that's why. And Don Sento had moved out here. Don um, went out so, there before you. Yes. Yep. Not long, a couple months. Um, But that was, you know, so I was like, oh, I can crash with him. John Button was out here, and Steve Cotter was out here. Uh-huh. And then uh, I started the gig with Steve Cotter, like, almost immediately um, doing little jazz hits. And, in fact, I saw him the other night at Ari's gig. That was really great to see him. And then not long after I moved there, I think within a month, I was crashing with Don. And then John Button moved out of this little house up in up in Van Nuys, like the North Valley. And I took over John's room. And... uh I moved in with some guys and, and, you know, formed a band there and met a lot of people just from moving into that kind of little niche that John had already started to carve. Because yeah. he, he's a couple years after us, right? Um, I think he's, well, I think he's Carlisle's age. He's like two years older than us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And John and, and I then, have played a lot of gigs over the years, lots of sessions and, you know, 
We actually we haven't actually been on the road together, but we work together a lot, you know, to this day. In fact, he was at my studio last week recording something here. So we we still and he's hang doing the Who gig now. He's playing with the Who. Yep. That's crazy, man. It's awesome. Yep. Yeah, yep. very. He's awesome. played, he played with Cheryl Crow and uh, right Michelle Branch. We played with Michelle Branch for a minute together. He played with this Latin artist named. I'm going to space on the name right now, but he did that for a while. And yeah. Did you know yeah. Jim Bogus? You knew Jim Bogus then. Of course. Well, I didn't yeah. know Jim at school at all, but we totally hang whenever he comes through town. He's and, in San um, Francisco, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's he's like outside of San Francisco, but yeah, he's up there. Yep. Right. Right. Yep. So did you do Cheryl Crow after him? or of No, I never played with Cheryl. Oh, oh yeah, okay. I never okay. played with Cheryl. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would love to play with Cheryl Crow, but... No. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, so yeah, I moved out here and I just started getting into the pop thing, you know. I mean, I've kind of covered, um, just just for our purposes, I've kind of covered like my history um, a lot in other podcasts. Sure. So I'd love to make it, if yours was different, you know. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Absolutely. Like, anybody that's absolutely. listening to me, they're like, oh, you guys talking about the same shit again, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, I just, yeah, I just want to kind of get, get established with, with what's up. But, um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, cool. Okay, so let's just uh, let's 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 go to this part. Have you talked about uh, your family before? Uh, no, not that much. Okay. No. All right. So yeah. you grew up. Your dad is uh, is he a classical saxophone player? Yes. Yeah. yeah. My dad is a yeah. classical saxophonist. He and was a professor at the University of Michigan for forty years. Professor of saxophone. Okay. Is he is he still with us or is he re- just retired? Uh, yeah, he he is. He just retired two years ago, and he's you know he still practices every day. Um, he's not really gigging anymore, but he you know he still plays every day and he stays at it. And and yeah, he was he was definitely a major. What do you would you say? Not not influence, but you know the, our music was in our house because of that. My mom was also a public school music teacher. Okay. Uh huh. Um, so, but yeah, music was ever present, and because of them, I I went to the national music camp, the Interlochen, for a number of summers when I was when I was I don't know between like uh, eleven and fourteen or ten and fifteen, something like that. And that was that was definitely a major kind of you know great educational time. Um, just being I I, I did was mainly playing. Um, Classical music at that yeah. point, I, you know, and the the whole like everything drum set was I was self taught. Um, I wasn't really. It was all like timpani, malice, you know, all that stuff, you know. And and frankly, that's that's part of why you know that, that was that was like a major thing of me getting into North Texas because I was not like you know a heavy jazz drummer or anything when I got there, you know. So your legit reading and 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 skills there kind of was yeah. The door open. Yeah, my uh-huh. my my audition for Doc was like sight reading timpani and malice and things like that, and I think he was like, "Oh wow, you know, like I was I was playing four mallets pretty heavily already, you know, wow. in high school and things like that, and playing vibes. So yeah, that was kind of my my in, but 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 like really, my goal was to you know become Vinnie Caliuta, basically. <laughs> right. Sure. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you feel like yeah. my my? I mean, I grew up. Both of my parents are professional musicians as well, and I and sometimes I feel like there's. It, it almost feels like there might be a disadvantage to having professional musicians as parents because they see things in a particular way. Um, like I feel like there wasn't as much music being played in my house 
as kids I knew that whose parents weren't musicians because it was kind of a safe place to have peace and quiet. Like decompress. Interesting. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, were you in a musical home as far as like listening and? Um, I would say that no, I don't think we played a lot of music in my house, but I was taken to classical music concerts a lot. Um, right, and you and you probably knew your dad's colleagues as well. Yes, because I would I would go take lessons at the University of Michigan, and I yep. yes I knew all his kind of uh, yes colleague professors and but yes I would say that you know, here's the funny thing is like my you know my parents they didn't listen to pop music at all. Um, right. It was always classical music in the house. And I always had the thing that, like, when you're an adult, you listen to classical music. As a kid, you might listen to rock and pop, but, like, as you get older, you just listen to classical music because that's what my parents did. And I would get in cars with friends, and their parents would have on, like, you know, Top 40 radio, and I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> well, yeah, right. I had that same thing, man. Like, did you really? Yes. Well, my, I mean, yeah, I did, but with jazz. Okay, yeah. okay. I always thought that pop equaled kind of this other world that that wasn't quite uh matured uh-huh because i was i always thought this that same thing with jazz yeah that's really interesting yeah my dad definitely he tried to introduce me to you know art blakey and you know even steve gad but i you know the kind of traditional jazz never really took to me until i got to school i definitely got into weckle and, and dennis chambers and those guys that we were into in the late 80s, early 90s uh, right. then. But, but like that discovery of like traditional jazz for me didn't happen until I kind of, it was like sink or swim. I was like, oh, wow, I've, I'm at North Texas. This better get this, get this act together, you know? Right. Did you feel um, almost uh, nervous or that it was like wrong to listen to pop music when you were a kid? Like, did you feel like I'm wasting my time if I'm, if I'm listening to something that isn't f- completely pristine? And- no. I definitely never had that. Um, uh-huh. No, I was. It was never frowned upon with me. I do think it probably led to me being into bands like Rush, not just because of Neil Peart, but because it was more complex music than like new wave music back in the early '80s, mid '80s. Just never connected with me because I just it just felt so simple, you know. Right. Um, I do think there was a correlation between like all the all that classical music and what I, and and the pop music that I gravitated towards. Or rock music, I should say, not pop music. But no, it was never frowned upon, like what I was listening to, you know. Even, even, even self-imposed. Um, like you kind of, you kind, you kind of said it because you, you said, you know, some certain pop seemed just too simple, but so it didn't, uh, it didn't pique yeah, your interest. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't really. Yeah, I guess I didn't really think of it that way. But yes, maybe self-imposed. Yeah. Right. But it was more of it. I think it was more of a feeling as opposed to a cerebral thing of, of like interest, you know. Like, right. if, like if something was simple, I just wasn't interested in it. I don't think it was because like my nose was necessarily turned up. It was just like, well, this is it's kind of boring, you know. Right. right. Like the Cure is a great example. Like I was never into the Cure until I was much older and I was into songs. I was like, oh my god, Robert Smith's an incredible songwriter. But like, right. As a, as a technical drummer, that was just so simple, and that just didn't interest me, you know. Right. Now I listen. Now I listen to the Cure. I'm like, man, what an incredible songwriter. You know. Yeah, how brilliant! I, I know, I know. Yeah, so wild man. I, I my my uncle was a, a super heavy session drummer in the in the seventies and eighties. He lived in L.A., but he was always in Nashville. And uh, incredible, he was he was in the one o'clock following stuff. 
actually. He was the first person. Really? There, so, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow, crazy. His name was Matt Betton Jr. He uh, he was with Buffett for years, and he was kind of okay. interchangeable wow. with Keltner in the 70s, doing a lot of stuff with um, oh, wow. T-Bone Burnett. And, I mean, he was a big big session guy. So I always looked at him like this amazing drummer. And, of course, when I was 15, it was all Dave Weckl and the electric band. And I remember asking him, who's, what's the best, who's the best band? You know, when you're 15, you can right. ask that kind of question. And right. I'm expecting them to say, well, Chick Corea and the electric band. I mean, <laughs> right. and he said right. Simon and Garfunkel. And I was like, I was shocked. Like, I couldn't even believe what I'd just heard. And then for Christmas that year, he gave me a Rykuder album. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to get any chops from this thing. Right. You know, and of course, 20 years later, it's like, oh. Yeah, you really I knew. Get, <laughs> I get all of that. Yeah, I understand all of it. So it's, yeah. it's interesting how, you know, I want to go back to, to North Texas real quick because one of the things that struck me about the way that you played, um, even back then, and, and the Zebras was the main thing that I remember hearing you play because that was like a pop gig. But mm-hmm. uh, you were very – everything you did was very simple and very mm. uh, solid. Like your time your time was really happening even back then. It just mm. felt good. There were creative – your ideas were creative but not chops creative. They were musical mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, you know, more of a compositional approach to playing. And I, and I would imagine that that is because of the literature that you grew up listening to and practicing because you're, you know, playing melodic – things and I, I just so you know you hear these you hear these drummers who are playing gigs and they're way they're 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 overplaying it they're throwing mm-hmm. things in that, that aren't musical they're more like technical choppy kind of things yeah and it's that that maturity of being able to express yourself without the need to like impress somebody playing for the song uh, all right that's interesting because i'll put it this way with Guys like, you know, Keith Carlock and Jason Farr, you know, and Jason was one of my best friends at school. I was just totally insecure about chops. You know what I mean? Sure. Of course, we are those guys, yeah. I I equated it to that, you know, um, like playing more simple. And, you know, I I always had a struggle between, like, the kind of Procaro versus Vinny thing. Yeah. You know, like, you know, we had, there was so much curriculum to get through, like Garibaldi book and things like that, that there were often times I was like, man, I just need to like play along to Toto records or whatever and and work on that because that was always, it definitely was always important to me, the the feel thing. Like early on, that was important to me, but the kind of not playing with chops thing i equate that to being insecure about not being able to play the things that i you know compared to cats like the, that you know i mean there, yeah there were so many i mean even like i'm trying to think of some other guys from from that well, era. but so you know there was yeah there's so many, rich yeah, so many guys. oh yeah rich you know and rich had that kind of year where he kind of like came out of nowhere and he all of a sudden he was a total beast you know um yeah. But I just never felt like I had that kind of facility, you know, even to this day, you know, it's just, you know, I think it's something that I probably haven't spent as much time on as people, but part of it is, you know, definitely it's maturity now, but part of it was out of insecurity of just like, oh, I can't even hang, you know, like, and you what? know, I, I used to, I used to sub for Carlock in, in Dallas Brass and Electric, like my last year there, I always found it interesting, like we were, you know, we kind of became friends through Jason, but I always thought it was interesting that, you know, I was kind of like his first call sub um, at that point, uh, because, because I was so not able to do what he could do, 
you know, um, I just appreciated that he called me, you know, so. Right. But maybe maybe that's something that stuck out then that I didn't even realize, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I saw. And then, yeah, because I remember that, and then I, re- I remember getting that, that feeling of, like, okay, this is mature playing. This is, like, this is real. It's interesting. It's solid. It's creative. But huh. it's not, like, technically crazy, which is right. beautiful. I mean, that's that's the whole goal. Right. Um, right. And then I remember being in L.A. and I actually I remember crashing on you and Dan, you and Don lived together for a while I think. Uh huh. Yep. 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 Yeah. And then I came Briefly. through with a band and crashed on your floor. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. I was out there with Aiden and really? Brad Thompson. Yep. We played. Oh yeah, yeah, played, yeah, yeah. I remember that totally. Played yep. Molly Malone's and you came yep. to the show. Yeah. Totally. And Carrie yep. Carrie Floyd came to the show, who was the leader of Tin Man. Right. And I remember introducing you to to Carrie, saying, "This is the guy." Like telling Carrie, "You're the dude that he needs to check out out there." And of course, Keith was always Carrie's drummer. Right. And I remember feeling like very confident in saying that, even though I know you guys are are very different different players. I just knew that your you know your musical maturity was right for anything that he may need. And at that time, he was kind of on fire. So right, but I, I don't I don't think he's really doing much anymore, Carrie. Right. right. Um, well, I but, appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, I just remember, you know, having that that thing of like, man, yeah, Blair is Blair has something special, and obviously it's it's come to fruition because you've been hired by tons of amazing artists and have you know made a great career in L.A. with it. Yeah. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing all these gigs. Do you teach? Uh, you know, I'm teaching more. I kind of really avoided it. For a long time, I think yeah. just because I had such an educational background, it was like the plague to me. It kind of felt like <laughs> right, I didn't, right. I didn't want that, um, but I'm doing it more, and and I I, I really enjoy it. I'm doing uh, Skype lessons for people, and I find that the people who seek me out are often um, like professional or semi-professional players. Um, and they definitely want a specific thing, you know, I kind of like we just discussed, you know, nobody's obviously coming to me for, you know, um, learning metric modulation or anything like that. You know, it's more about like, uh, playing for songs and feel and, um, those types of things, which is, which is great. Uh, You know, I love talking about that stuff. Yeah. Getting sounds. Getting sounds. Live studio. Yeah. Because I, I really feel like that's a really underemphasized part of being a drummer is getting sounds. Like, I can't remember one time being in school thinking about, except for maybe where I t- crank my snare drum, like what my drums are supposed to sound like for right. for the gig. And, you know, those kind of things really started to seep into me more uh, the more studio work I did um, because you realize that you're helping define how a song sounds through the through your drum sound. Um, sure. Yeah. So I love the idea of uh, not just snare drum tuning, but like dampening and mixing tones and and like, you know, the idea of having like a certain bass drum and being able to do a, a number of different things with it and not just thinking like, you know, for example, like, oh, I have an 18-inch bass drum. I tune it, you know, like super high and use it as a bebop bass drum. Right. You know, right. because it's, right. Not, it's not limited to that. You know, it doesn't have to be limited to that anyway. And... You know, this past year, I've, I've had a number of drummers, like really good drummers here in L.A. come through my room and we just talk about like, you know, you're, oh, you're, you're going for this. This is kind of how we achieve this. And we talk conceptually about like 
how to how to get those things out, out of your drums because I you know I just think especially when people really start working um, a lot of people just don't think about it you know they're like I just kind of do this or the drums just sound like this when I show up and I just play them and I just do my thing right um, so that, that's been really interesting to me to to like kind of explore that with some, some different drummers who I really respect kind of help, help them open their eyes a bit too some of that stuff too. Do, you, do you see a change um like you know the old school way of doing sessions and this is sort of how sessions still function in chicago that i do is the producer plays a pretty big role so the producers that i work with in this town know my drums know which drums i have and a lot of times i get i get a list in the email of which drums they want me to bring hmm. and I I do make like in the situation that I'm in I can make suggestions but it's almost like the producer already knows which drums they want hmm. and and it's always in a studio so mm-hmm. and and so there's not a lot of experimentation I feel in 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 the session work that I'm doing here okay. But what I but what I'm noticing with you know the LA scene it's like you guys have got your home studios and you're doing track. Are you tracking from your home for yes. record? Yeah. Yeah. So that's 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 really going on there, and I think that might be going on in New York. Maybe I don't really know. Uh-huh. It seems like that's more. Everyone's more band oriented, project oriented in New York, and you're doing records. And Chicago's uh-huh. somewhere in the middle. I mean, it's 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 a little bit of both. But it seems like the home studio drum thing is is super strong out there. So you have the the ability to take someone's tracks and say here are three different ways that your song could sound and you give the artist back like i did notice one of your i was watching some of your youtube videos and you did a demonstration of like a 12-8 tune you did it one with brushes and then one with sticks uh-huh yeah so, i mean the way i'm the way i'm seeing work go is uh, almost nine times out of ten uh, maybe not that much six times out of ten there's no one here but me, and I kind of look at it as I'm I'm part of the production. I'm I'm slightly producing. You know, I don't want to go sure. as far as uh-huh. say co-producing, but I'm making like definitive sonic choices on how somebody's song or record is going to sound. Right. Um, yeah. So these I, I'm are you getting called I'm by producers told, or are these artists um, that are contacting you or it's both like label producer people type? It's, it's both. both. So it's, artist, all, it's yeah. all of the above. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, I mean, usually if there's a label involved, then there's a producer. Yeah, um, but you're still doing it at your place. Um, sometimes, sometimes you're going to. The, la- the I would say if it's a label, it's often there's there's a budget and they want to go somewhere to do it. Right, right. Um, the, yeah. But I'm I am never told. I may be told what what we're going for, but I'm never told what drums to bring. Uh-huh. Uh, there's plenty. There, I would say there's a lot of experimentation. I mean, usually, you know, before I set up anything in a session, I try to find out, hey, what's the first song we're going to do? Can we go listen to it? Is there some kind of demo? And then, because I hate, I hate just like throwing up like any old cymbals and snare drum and whatever, um, building a kit and then going to listen to the song and go like, oh, well, I wouldn't use half the stuff that's up here. That we exactly. Just yeah, right. For, for 20 minutes. So, you know, I really try to find out what we're doing if I'm in a actual studio first i try to find out what we're doing and then i build my kit around that and then if we need to change things cool but you know the experimentation part i would say is wide open you know right um and and people are totally they they want that you know especially i feel like this day and age with 
with pop music and programming. You know, people people can be so definitive with like, hey, I'm gonna program this kick and snare, and they can go through like a hundred of each of those. That the, there's like there's like a real meticulous ear toward that now. Right. Yes. Yeah. Are you? Uh, so let's let's talk about your studio. Um, what? How many? Like, how many pre's do you have? Are you miking everything room? Two, two on kick, two on snare, or you just yeah, does, does I, it depend have, on what you're going for? Right, it depends. It totally depends. Um, I have 14 pre's. I, you know, I can I can go that far if need be, but I try to mic for the song really. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and if I need, if I can get it down to two mics, I think that's great. You know, like if it's kind of like a you know 60s esque um, type recording where it's a minimal thing and and I'm allowed to get away with it. I'll I'll use way less mics, but uh, you know often. But I, uh, you know, actually to to kind of to say the opposite of what I just said is you know often I'll record the whole kit, but I'll I'll you know I'll mute everything except maybe three mics, and then just say like, hey, this is this is what I used, and this is how I think it sounds the most authentic to what you're going for. But there, here's here's the other thing: I did record everything else, and here it is. If you need to use it, you know, because then you know obviously. So I'm not involved in mixing, and I don't want to lock them in too much. You're like, oh man, the guy didn't give me any tom mics, and like I could really use that because I put all these guitars on, and now they're nothing's cutting through, you know? Right. Yeah. So you might do a like I actually did just a, I just did a session with someone out in L.A. in my studio, and I sent back my mix of what how I would hear it, and then I also mm-hmm. included all the stems and said like like you just said so. There's a chance that it's going to sound the way that I hear it, but there's also a chance that they're going to remix it and it won't sound anything like the way I heard it. And and sometimes, so if I send it and I'm like, this is how I hear it, but if I send them all the stems, the final product might not sound anything like the way that I intended it. Yeah. Have you had that come up? Or I mean, pretty... I feel like, that, yeah, I feel, to me, that's like, um, I almost expect that even when I've made records in, in like big budget records with big artists in the studio and like you listen to playback of a take and there's a certain mix happening and it sounds phenomenal and then you hear it when it hits the street and you're like wow that is nothing like what we did um right. so i don't i don't i try not to hold on to that yeah. idea of like this is what it sounded like when we finished that day i feel like i've been disappointed a lot by that and i've finally i just kind of realized like once once it leaves my my once i leave the studio or once the the, the session leaves my studio, it's all up in the air. And I have no idea what kind of production decisions are going on or the direction the artist wants to go or anything like that. So I try not to, like, get disappointed in that, in that anymore. Um, you know, hopefully I just did a good job playing it, and I know that they left with stuff that sounds really good, you know, and then they right. get, they can right. do what they want, and that, that's all the control I have. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you know, you're, you're some of these videos, it looks like you are making a big push with your YouTube channel as almost like mm-hmm. an educational place to demonstrate your studio concepts mm-hmm. with uh, synthesis sounds. Right. And you're going through the process of different tunings or, or you know, how to are you are you doing anything with mic techniques? I'm I'm kinda of looking through here and have you done well, anything with talking about I am a little bit. Um I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how to um let that out of the bag a little bit because I also want to monetize a little more before I feel like I'm giving everything that I'm good at away. Go yeah, I'm trying to touch on that stuff a bit without giving the whole thing away, you know. That's tricky, isn't it? 
Yeah. Have, have really you listened tricky. to uh, – do you listen to any, like, podcasts or anything about kind of the business of social media and all that? I, I, I dive into it, and then I retract from it, and then I dive into it, and I get tired of it, and <laughs> – yeah. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I think it's the Wild West. I mean, I think everyone's trying to figure out exactly how to do it. Obviously, it's so yeah. brand new. Yeah. I mean, Carter, and... Carter to me, has really, like, figured it out, you know, like, where he's gone. I'm I'm kind of amazed at what he's done, you know. Um, well, his Instagram has exploded. His Instagram's ridiculous. It feels like his website and his subscription seems to be doing quite well. And I think that's really the, that's the point I'd love to get to, you know. But, uh, part of, you know, I find it tricky to be on the road and have a schedule that's kind of all over the place and being consistent with that, you know, which is something I just need to figure out. Yeah, because there's the but, whole yeah. thing of, of becoming, you know, getting known. Making sure that people know who you are, finding which medium that people gravitate towards with you particularly, because you know someone might, you know, Carter has thirty-two thousand people or whatever on Instagram, but someone else might have thirty-two thousand people on YouTube and five hundred people on Instagram. Right. <laughs> right. It's it's right. it's so crazy how that works. And there's also. People that, you know, in my opinion, I feel like are not doing anything special and they have 40,000 Instagram followers and I'm kind of like, okay, what, 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 where's, where's the, uh, what am I missing here? You know? I know. Do you know Mark Walker? <laughs> Paquito de Rivera's drummer. He teaches at Berkeley. He's, he's ridiculous Latin dude. He's, uh, he's from Chicago, but he and I were talking one day. We were on Facebook and, and something was happening and he had just posted something really heavy and it got like one like and then I, I posted something super heavy and it didn't get much attention and we were chatting on Facebook and I said, check this out, man. Let's do a little experiment. So I went over to one of the the, uh, the really populated Facebook drummer pages with like, you know, 30,000 people. And I write mm-hmm. the question, drummers, what is your favorite shoe to wear while drumming? <laughs> and, I, and I hit, and I hit, you know, send. And Mark and I watched it populate. Hundreds of people replied within minutes. Right. What do we do? Totally ridiculous <laughs> question. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Superfluous. Yeah. 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 So it's like, how do you capture? Because you know, you feel like you're starting to find your audience, and uh, I do. And also, because people ahead. are starting to reach out to you and say, "Can I do a Skype lesson and learn more about what you just talked about in your YouTube video?" Is that yeah. kind of how things might be moving? You know, you know, I'm trying to look at it is um is just do your thing. It's kind of like being an indie artist. Like, do your thing. Be consistent with the message that's happening. And you'll find your audience. Um, I've definitely done some reading about that, kind of like Seth Godin and, and guys like yeah. that. Um, I just, I was reading this book called Find Your Tribe. And it's really about that. Yeah. It's like, you gotta do your thing. And there, there are people out there that you will find or they will find you. And it'll, you know, if you're consistent with it, then it'll work. So that's kind of my yeah. mentality. Like, I'm not right. as consistent as I'd like to be with the YouTube thing, um, but I do see that I'm finding like-minded musicians and, and drummers on there, and that's. I think that's really what it's about, is just trying to be consistent with the message. And, right. and it is who it is. You know, I'm not going to get gospel drop cats looking at my page necessarily. Um, I mean, maybe, who knows, you know, but if they're looking for that, then I'm not the guy, and that's totally fine. You know, right? You know, there are guys that have way more to offer on that than than I do. So, yeah. do you have like the, an idea to you know kind of do more like teaser videos on YouTube and then have a place on a web on your website that is like you know get access to the whole process and then you really break it down like 
here's where the mics are played. Here's where the pre's are set. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I've been working on something slowly of like a product to sell that I can, I can, you know, I don't know if there's an actual number of YouTube or Instagram people that I have before I kind of release that. It's not done yet anyway, but I think at some point, you know, I go, oh, well, here's, get, you know, if you like this, then here's some kind of insider information that you can come pay for. Right. Um, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. And it's just something that I'm working on slowly. And that, and that includes like miking things and, you know, getting sounds and more in-depth tuning things, all, all kinds of things like that. Do you listen, have you listened to much Gary Vaynerchuk? Oh, you no, I've is? heard of that cat though. His whole thing is you give everything away for free. And I'm wrestling right. with that right now because, you know, I've got two books out. I probably have 40 or 50 full length hour long lessons with PDFs and play alongs on my website. Uh-huh. And and I have some members and I have some subscribers and followers and stuff, but it's like it, it's it's scary to think well, if I give all this away, what? where's the value? Yeah. And the thing that he keeps trying to drive home is you create trust by giving giving it. And then right. you become – it's almost like that puts you into the position of it's about you. So then you personally are asked to come and do a residency at you know some heavy school where you're talking about it in depth. And then you, and go, like, you kind of do your same thing, but it's more personal and one on – one on one or whatever. Yeah, it's one on right. So you're so like every single thing that you create is your call is your business card and the product is you as an actual person. Right. And right. then when you interact with the people, then they become even more excited and they want your premium content where they pay. Yeah, the whole I know that philosophy of give everything away. I you know, I think there's partly a generational thing, partly a fear thing of like actually believing in that. I know. And it's you know, my, one of my good friends is Tim Pierce. He's one of the, like, heaviest session guitar players in L.A. for, like, the last 30 years. He has a YouTube following of 100,000 people, and he's got a subscription thing on his website. And he says the same thing. He's like, you got to give it all away, and then you have other things, and people buy them, you know? And that's the real key. And, you know, I've, I, you know he, I, he's been working on it for seven or eight years now, and it, it's working for him, like, big time. You know, yeah. so yeah, I, you know, it's funny to have this conversation because it's like I've had a hard time wrapping my head around that, but it is the key, you know. It, yeah. It's that, and it's also being in it for the long haul instead of trying to figure out how to make it make a quick turnaround. Yeah. Like I've been doing, I've been doing my website for a year and a half. When I very first started, I'm like, okay, I'm putting my first lesson up. Let's see if anyone subscribes. Right. Of course, no. And then the next week I put another lesson up and it's like getting into that habit of you post on Instagram and why are you posting right. on Instagram? Are you trying to lead someone to somewhere else or right. that's, that's yeah. crazy. I, I, how, like I'm with A&F was one of, one of my drum companies right? and they are like, they're like social media sweethearts. Oh yeah. You know, Rami can yeah. post something and it'll get 20,000 views. So it's kind of like, what, what exactly is this relationship about, you know, besides really good instruments? Right. And so I think now the, you know, there are certain companies. Who are you with? You have, you're with DW? Yes. Istanbul? Uh, DW, Istanbul, Regal Tip, Remo. And do you feel, do you get any reciprocal? I mean, is it, is it cool in LA to be doing this? I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's the name of the game these days. I don't I don't think anybody has any um i don't think anybody looks down on it or anything like that you know i mean i think there's people that look down on the way that some people do it but then again it doesn't really matter you know what i mean i yeah. think you know there's so many different ways of doing it that it, it just do it just do it and right. you know like we said well you'll find your audience 
because there's some people that are very in your face and very eccentric about them, and it works, you know. And then there's other people that are more on the kind of educational side of it, and it's really not necessarily about them, uh, even though it is, you know what I mean. But it's in a in a lesser sense, and that works too. So I don't, I don't, you know, I think I don't think it really matters, and I don't think people here in LA. I think some people just decide to do it, and some people just just don't want any part of it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, DW is definitely helpful if I have something that I can send to them, and they put it on their Facebook. It definitely, you know, it gets me a thousand more views, and it's definitely driven some traffic to my YouTube. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's all over the place. And like you said, I mean, you're on the road. It's super time consuming. I'm in my studio, and I'm editing video more than I'm doing anything else. Oh, dude, you know? I know. That's the killer. I mean, oftentimes I have an idea. I'm like, oh, man, I would love to get this done in the next four or five hours, and it's just not going to happen. It's like, yeah. it's just not going to happen. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I think you just got to embrace it <laughs> in the long run. Easier said than done, but I, I think that's the, you know, I'm not saying I have either, you know, but I think when I have these conversations with people about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Just gotta, that's, that's what you got to do. <laughs> It's, it's being consistent, right? It's being consistent. It's having like a per, like a goal, a purpose, and le- leading yeah. people to it. I heard an interesting thing on this uh, social media and marketing like video conference call with a group of people the other day for uh-huh. an organization that I'm doing some drumming for, and uh-huh. uh, and the person said, "No, nobody cares about you. They care about how you make them feel." I was like, "This is interesting." You know, it's like you don't you don't <laughs> post someone something so you can get like a bunch of people going, "Hey, you're awesome," right? But you want to post something that makes people go, "Oh." Oh man, this is this isn't either. And there were three things. It was like either inspire, educate, or entertain. Yeah, like, that's excellent. I, I I totally agree with that. If you if you give something that somebody at the, at the end of the day they can figure out or learn something from, they're gonna come back because they're like, oh man, that that's what they think of first. They're not thinking of like, oh that dude is cool. <laughs> you know, they're right. Like, <laughs> right. What did right. I get out of this? The thing that's hard to remember is, oh, man, I need to make a post today. I haven't posted anything today. You know, that idea yeah. of, like, got to be consistent. Yeah. But then yeah. then you have to ask that filter of, does this does this do one of these three things? Where, what of, was that thing that you listened to? What was that? That was that was from an actual human that I was interacting oh, okay. with. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. It was a real person. It was a media company in Chicago that I was part of a meeting for. Oh, cool. That's like a light bulb that's like, oh. Oh, yeah. It's a light bulb. Man, so many things are light bulbs because I, it's really, it's like a, it's like the wild frontier of social media. Uh, inspire, educate, or entertain. Like every, every piece of content should do one of those three things. Interesting. I mean, that's a sliding scale. I mean, who knows what something that inspires somebody might not do that. Oh, yeah, of course. Else. When you talk about something educational, it's going to be interest some people and some people it's not, you know, but that's where right. you find your audience. You know, it's like yeah. if you're if you're doing things on a certain educational, if you know, like if talking about miking drums for a lot of people, it's just going to their eyes are going to glaze over. But other people are going to be like, oh, man, this is the shit I want to know about. Oh, man. Well, there's a see, this is the other interesting like you have no you personally Blair sent to have no idea who knows who you are. Right. Like, right. uh, you may or may not know a guy named Nate Kuhn. Do you know that name? Sorry, say it again. Nate Kuhn. Probably I don't. I know Nate's oh, name. You know Nate's name. Okay, yeah. He's an A&S guy. Okay. In Texas. Okay. But he is a rabid fan of yours. Like, he watches huh. every one of your videos, all of your YouTube stuff. He's a studio guy in Texas. Like, that's his passion. He plays on tons of, like, Texas country, like, hits. Huh. That's his whole thing. He tours in a band, but he's all, he's... His studios, his passion, huh. but but he is one of these people that is passionate about when you put something out. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
and you never yeah. know. I mean, like this this guy from the Netherlands just contacted me today, was talking to me about a video that I did put up. I'm like, how did you? Who do? You, how do you know who I am? Right. Like the whole world is is watching now. Yeah. Yeah, you're putting it out there. You just don't know how far it's reaching. And I think I think you you said it earlier. It's like you you have to do what you're into. You have to be authentic. You have to like put out what you're passionate about. And then yep. and then maybe it's maybe there's some kind of a process where you figure out how to not not like in a cheesy used car salesman way, but some way to like entice people by giving little teaser hints at something that you're you're trying to draw them towards. Yeah. But not in a bad way, but but in a good way. Like I've got awesome information. I'm going to give you a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and then to bring to give you to let you know that you can trust me. And then here it is. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've um I have noticed this year. You know, I did a, a little guest lecture at USC on two different days, and then I did my kind of little clinic slash lecture at the University of Michigan. And you know the you know Michigan I have a relationship there, but I, I've done it two years in a row now. But I definitely feel that's directly related to the YouTube stuff I've been putting up because you know like people see that you, you to know, talk about the things, right? Yeah, yeah, it's relevant to them, and they see that you know what you're talking about directly. Um, so the, the idea of giving like the YouTube thing away for free definitely has brought me that, and it would be great to be doing that on a bigger scale. So, and I think we kind of touched on it earlier, like that's really the key of like you put that out there. And hopefully the right people are noticing it. Like your circle of people is say, like, oh man, let's, we, we need that guy to come, you know, educate these people or, or come do a session or whatever. People right. that are, that are into your thing. And that's what you get for putting things out for free. You do that work and it, it's hopefully it comes back monetarily in other forms, you know. You know? Right. And, and, you know, obviously like, you know, uh, ooh, I'm going to have to run. Actually, sorry. Uh, I got to grab this. You want to hang up and want me to call you back? Yeah, give me a call back. Okay. Sorry. Okay, yeah. no problem. Okay, bye. Call is now being recorded. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I've got to figure out how to get that part on the on the podcast because that's not audible. Oh, really? You're just gonna have to record yeah, it just... separately somehow and then snip it in there every time. Yeah, that's great. So great. Yeah, that could um, be like your call thing. Actually, I think you might get sued for that, but who knows? <laughs> this call is being recorded. Yeah. Um, we can continue talking now, or if you want to. Yeah. What do you, do you think we had? Do you think you got enough? Or um, I mean, I definitely got to get moving, but I'm I'm definitely happy to talk again. Um, you know, because I feel like half of this is like uh, strategizing between the two of us, and half of it's information for other people. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to figure out how much is kind of appropriate for someone to like eavesdrop in on our our personal conversation, because sometimes people are kind of interested in that. But yeah. uh, I don't know if we want to get more technical. I mean, if we we could we could dive down into you know, mic pre's and and mics that you're using, placements and tunings. And, I mean, we could go down that rabbit hole if you want. And I could even yeah, I could even edit in examples. Like you could talk about something, and then if you had a recording of it. I could actually oh, pop right. it in and we could hear it. Right. I did do that with Ari. It takes a little more editing, but I'm kind of geeked out about it right now, so I don't mind doing yeah. extra work. Yeah. yeah, I'm cool with that. Why don't we talk another time? We can talk about that, and then I could kind of file through things as I'm sitting in my studio and send me some little okay. clips or things like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, why don't we – I mean, we could even even break apart, like, one you have on YouTube already with, like, the bass drum one or the snare drum one. Yeah. And, uh, like, the – Let's see the rim shots or no rim shots or you know what maybe you could pick 
something, and then we could get, I could just get the sound files, and then we could just talk in detail. What, whatever, but let's make the goal talking about – let's go in-depth with, like, the sounds of – rig things that you remember the the presettings and and the mic placement okay. and what mics you used. Okay. Yeah, cool. Let's um <laughs> let's talk soon um in the next week or two, maybe maybe later next week or something like that. Next week? I think that's a good goal for next I put them out every Friday. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Or or you can do a part 1 and part 2 if you want. I'm cool with that. Hmm, that's an idea too. Let me let me listen through what we have and see if I can start editing it and see if there's stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and then, cool. And we'll go from there. And I'm, a, I'm I'm around, like I'm going to St. Louis to visit my family, but I'll be there for the rest of this week. I don't know if you're light since it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm heading to San Francisco for a few days. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Next, early next week is is open for me. I don't know how that is for you. Um. Yeah, it looks like the beginning of the week. Uh, you know, it's all over the place right now. I got okay. time now. For sure, yeah. All right, yeah, well, now, I know, now we have a kind of a – yeah, and we've got more of a goal and a focus, so it's we could probably yeah. do it pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, cool. If we're, pre- if we're prepared. Okay, man, cool. Well, happy Thanksgiving, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, dude, sounds good. All right, Blair, talk to you later. All right, talk to you. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, there you have it, part one of a conversation. I know we kind of nerded out on some different things. Um, the next part of the conversation that will come out – maybe in a week or so it's already been recorded and I'm in the process of editing it right now we go in total depth with one of Blair's recording sessions we talk about microphones and mic pre's and compression settings and drum tunings and tracking so uh, it's going to be much more in-depth nerd alert drum hang Um, so I hope you come back for that as well um, the way to contact Blair is he has uh, his Facebook musician page is facebook.com slash Blair Sinta Drums. His YouTube page is youtube.com slash Blair Sinta. His website is blairsinta.com. And of course, his Instagram would be instagram.com slash Blair Sinta. Find him on all of those social medias. Follow, like, comment, share, and get into this dude. He's totally happening. Here is a sneak peek of part two of our talk, which is all about recording. I'll play you a little clip right now as a teaser so you'll come back and listen to more Blair Senta. Here it is. What pre's are you using? Well, I have a lot. I have... APIs, some API 312, uh-huh. and I mainly run kick, snare, and tom for those. Snare meaning top snare, not bottom, um, and the kick is, it's either the inside kick mic or the outside kick mic, and I will run a combination of three kicker mics. Sometimes all three, meaning a sub, a FET 47 type mic that really kind of gives a speedy tone with some punch to it, and then an inside kick, which is much more attack, kind of ugly sound. Okay, there's your teaser. Now go practice. Talk to you in a week. Thank you so much for listening to the Drum Mantra Podcast. Your time and attention is much appreciated. I would love it if you went to the iTunes store and left a rating. And please share this with anybody that you think would like to go deeper with their practice. Take care.